Our scripture lesson is Psalm 46, found on page 480 of the Old Testament section of your pew Bible. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. Good morning. Here a reading from the Epistle to the Church at Rome, chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here is a good word to us today. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Help us to be still and to know and to trust you are God. Open our hearts to your word and to you this day. Amen. So I'm in an aisle seat on a long flight home from Connecticut after getting our daughter settled in to start school. It's a daytime flight and the sun is bright as we take off. And when one sits on the aisle, as I always do, the one in the window seat controls the shade. So my seatmate pulls down the shade as soon as she sits down, as do the majority of the passengers. I'm watching my Netflix stand-up comedy specials that I downloaded before the flight because I rely on humor as a remedy for my flight anxiety. And we're almost four hours into the flight and three comedians in, and the captain's friendly voice comes over the intercom saying, Hello, folks. I encourage you to open your window shades. I don't want you to miss the Rocky Mountains below. And there's a collective whoosh of shades going up throughout the plane, and the sunlight outside is so bright that everyone is blinking because we've adjusted to the dim light. And I see people's necks craning over their seatmates trying to see out the windows, and the chorus of awes erupting throughout the plane. The beauty of the mountains was breathtaking. And had our dim complacency not been interrupted by the captain telling us to open our window shades, we would have missed it. We would have missed the thrill of flying above and looking down upon that mountainscape. We would have missed it all, shades down, sleepily ignorant of the wonder just outside. How much of our life do we live that way? Shades down. We fly through life unaware of what we're missing. There are astonishing moments of beauty and wonder around us, but it's so easy to slink into our comfortable seats, distracted by tasks and trivial entertainment activities. Life as God intends is to be lived with the shades open. God wants to interrupt us in our dimly lit seats so we don't miss the moments that offer us joy and the thrill of the view. So Ian and I have spent the first two sermons of September contemplating what joy means. In his sermon last week, Ian offered that when we experience the fullness of joy, we are touching the essence of God. I proposed the week before that that joy is the heartbeat of God, and joy pulses 
through each of us and through all of us in community and through our whole cosmos for all of creation pulses with joy. So today I want to engage a couple of questions. What robs us of joy? What are the actions or thoughts or situations, what I'm calling the joy thieves, that keep the shades down, that block us from the thrill of the view? I want to offer a few examples of joy thieves that threaten to rob us. So here we go. The first, living a life of comparison robs us of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy, said Theodore Roosevelt. In a blink of an eye, before we are aware, we've summed up another person and measured ourselves against them. And we're not usually given over to comparison against people who are far out of our sphere of life. I'm not comparing my professional success to Bill Gates. Um, I'm not comparing my athletic talents at all to Serena Williams. Really, none of you, actually. More often, we compare ourselves to friends and family members and childhood classmates that we see on social media. And the comparisons are usually about things that we do value, appearance, wealth, marriage, children, accomplishments. But jealousy and envy are the cousins of comparison. And they creep out of the places that they lurk within. Jealousy and envy keep us focused on other people's perceived happiness. And in so doing, they make us feel chronically inferior. And when we're stuck in a cycle of comparing our lives against the lives of others, we are unable to acknowledge, let alone appreciate, all we do have. Right? It's difficult to be grateful here in economy class, shades wide open, if we're constantly looking to see if the first class has the same view that we have. And I promise you, they do. They have the same view. Drinks are free, but the view's the same. Gratitude is the antidote to comparison and the jealousy and envy it breeds in us. Gratitude is the fertilizer in which joy may flourish. So second, living in a world of want robs us of joy. There's a wonderful poem by poet Tina Schumann called A World of Want. Try to adjust this. Here are some, it's not the whole poem, but here are some lines from it. Today, as I watch the carousel of cars turn one by one through the intersection and onto the freeway, I try to imagine each life, not so much where they were going, but what they were made of. Wounds, illusions, desires, deceits. 
Through all of this, a preoccupation with the next perceived need floats up like thought bubbles inside my head. Coffee, Cheetos, a new blouse, a larger house, a desk fan, appreciation from that one specific person, the phone's chirp, the trip to France. If I could quiet this conga line of cravings, what lingering longings would I lament? What radiant, unattached insights would I muster? Who would I be without my constant yearnings? It's a world of want. You get the idea, Jeanne's. We can go through our days, go through our lives with a conga line of cravings snaking through our unconscious. And the cravings keep us from being present to the gifts we're already holding. Like the thief of comparison, endlessly fixating on what we lack and what we desire keeps our eyesight forever on the horizon. And what if we responded to these relentless longings with the real questions? Who would I be without my constant yearnings? If my mind wasn't foggy with images of all I lack, what radiant, unattached insights would I muster? Being mindful of the goodness and beauty that is already ours is an antidote to living in a world of want. Third, living in a world of regret robs us of joy. In addition to comparing ourselves to others and living with that conga line of wants, reciting a litany of regrets on a regular basis keeps us from living joyfully in our lives. Repetitiously listing off the regrets about mistakes and missteps and betrayals and hurt prevents us from living in a space where joy can manifest itself. So to experience joy requires integrating our mistakes and our missteps and our betrayals and our wounds into the authentic story of our lives. The whole story that we could be telling. When we live in a world of regret, what we're doing is struggling to edit out the hard stuff, right? We want to extricate all the parts of our story that don't fit the ideal self-portrait that we have painted. The antidote to living a life of regret is to accept our messy lives just as they are and allow joy to surprise us when we do that, when we accept ourselves and all of our messy beauty. I tell you, the longer I'm alive, the longer I'm a pastor, and the more honest stories people tell me about themselves, I believe, I'm convinced that we all are trying to live heavily, highly edited versions of ourselves. We each have regrets 
that we keep secret. And regrets keep us from being wholly who we are. What liberation could happen if we confess to one another our whole stories? Because through honesty comes freedom. And through freedom comes joy. So behind all of these thieves and these antidotes, gratitude is an antidote to comparison. Being mindful of the good that is already ours is an antidote to a world of want. Accepting our messy lives as they are as an antidote to a world of regret. I'm convinced behind all of these is fundamentally the struggle to believe, I mean really believe, that God's love is sufficient for you, for me, for each and all of us. C.S. Lewis wrote, don't let your happiness depend upon something you may lose. Don't let your happiness depend upon something you may lose. And what is it that we cannot lose? God's love. God's unconditional love. And confidence in that love is what opens us to a joyful life. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard made the connection between joy and confidence in God's unlimited love. He wrote, If at every moment, both present and future, it were eternally certain that nothing has happened or can happen, not even the most fearful horror invented by the most morbid imagination and translated into fact, which can separate us from God's love, here would be reason for joy. As in our text from Romans, Paul encourages the uh, Romans to trust that nothing in life or in death will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not angels or demons, not the present or the future, not any power, not any height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God. If we could be confident in that kind of love, here would be reason for joy. So perhaps there's nothing more radical or countercultural or act an act of resistance than to live with joy and confidence. God interrupts us now and then maybe when we've gotten too settled into our comfortable seats. And God says, Howdy, folks. You might want to open your shades and readjust your sight to new light in your life. And be sure to enjoy the view. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>